0: If you have your Bibles this morning, we'll be reading out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. I'm going to stand down here tonight, or today, because I think y'all are far enough to get out of my spit zone. So, maybe you'll be safe. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Say "Those those who fall asleep. Or to grieve like the rest of men. Have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring Jesus with those who have fallen asleep in Him according to the Lord's own word. We tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God. Uh, the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other, encourage each other, say encourage, encourage, encourage each other with these words. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word. We pray, Lord, that your spirit will move freely in the midst. Lord, we pray for divine guidance, for direction, for peace, for education, for love, and for mercy to abound in our lives. We pray this now in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. We've been speaking this uh, on this series about eternal merit matters. Uh, eternal matters, talking about end of life, talking about death, talking about heaven or destinations after death, heaven or hell, and, and we've unpacked several aspects of it. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, death and what death holds Death is uh, something that's kind of scary for everyone involved, and yet in this text that we read this morning in Thessalonians, Paul is trying to get people to understand that he doesn't want us to be ignorant about things. He doesn't want to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, about the coming of Christ and the the eternal reward that we're all going to get in heaven, and he wants us to be educated about a few things. And he, his desire is for us not to be ignorant because ignorance has uh, some things that attaches itself with it. Ignorance is basically not knowing something, right? It's not a de- derogatory thing. It's just a, f- a factorial thing in the fact that if I don't know about something, for example, the soundboard over there. We've got a new soundboard and, and uh, you know, Eric strained himself up and... and um, um, Donita has trained herself up and the people who run the soundboard and they can go up there and hit a few buttons and man, that thing switches on them and does all kinds of stuff. And I'm completely clueless. And, and to, the right word is I'm ignorant about it. You know, I just don't know about that board. I'm ignorant about it. It doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It doesn't mean I'm uneducated. It doesn't mean that I'm uh, in, inferior in any way. I'm just ignorant according to that. And Paul is talking about ignorance here and the fact that he just doesn't want us not to know a few things that's coming. And he talks about the rapture and he talks about those who are sleeping. And that enlightenment, I think that too, we shouldn't be ignorant about the final days of our lives, about death and what death holds and how... We're to handle it and how to finish well this portion of our life as we transform into the next eternal portion of our existence. So part of today is just giving us some tools and educating us a little bit about things that happens in death. And and I hope at the end of the day it will be helpful to you and not gloom and despair, but there may be some hope and reassurance when you exited the room, uh, so first of all, I want I want to talk about uh, death, and and death is is something that I think along with ignorance is something that attaches itself to ignorance. If we don't are not very careful, is something that we talked about in Sunday school this morning. It's a word called fear. Sometimes fear accompanies ignorance, and sometimes they're simultaneous. And sometimes you can't get over your ignorance because fear's in the way, and it won't allow you to get there. So fear kind of blocks you from understanding, and it keeps you away from understanding because once the ignorance is gone and understanding of it, then there's no place for fear anymore. So it, it kind of boxes it out and try to get gets it. It tries to get uh, the aspect of education, the fact of, of understanding out of the equation, so fear can be present. Because if you have fear, it is the main ingredient that will keep you away from the security of God. Fear is the harbor that lets all these unhealthy things come in. And it allows you to navigate or to pretty well fixate on these instead of dispelling them and living in the glory of God. So we want to dispel fear in every aspect of our life that we can. Amen? Fear is an enemy. I, I, I don't like fear. And, and I battle with fear a lot. Fear tries to attack me. And every time fear tries to attack me, it's stealing from me. So fear is authored by someone we know is here to kill, to steal, and to destroy. So we know it's not of God. But God gave us a sound mind, that of a purpose and a place and peace. God has given us a purpose. So let's this morning is an effort to dispel some of the fear, some of the ignorance about death, and help us to kind of overcome uh, some of these things. I read a book years ago, and it just so happened that Janet, we're, we've been going through a lot of our stuff in a house, and you know we're moving our mother-in-law's house to my house, and. Uh, that's not it's it's not funny, Dan. But anyway, um, and and in that aspect, she's moving a lot of different things around. And she found this book that is is is, is by Raymond Moody, not Dale Moody. I I got confused about it when I first thought about it. I thought oh, it was one of my Dale Moody books. It's not. Uh, it's Raymond Moody. Raymond Moody was a, a, a doctor, a doctor, medical doctor, in the seventies, uh, and and he wrote. He worked in Mercy Room. And he had a bunch of people that went through near-death experiences where they resuscitated. I think the longest that he's uh, had people that actually were clinically and declared dead uh, for 20 to 30 minutes at a time. And, and, and they were revived and, and they came back. And after so many years of this, he got really interested in, in these stories that he was hearing from people because every one of them that had near-death experience when they came back or they were resuscitated, they had a changed life, every one of them. So it was curious about what took place in these experiences. And understand this, apart from these interviews and apart from people that has near-death experiences where they were declared dead and they were resuscitated and come back, we have no idea other than their word. Understand? Okay. So there is no... uh, No, that ain't right because we have an authority on it, okay? It's solely based upon these uh, near-death experiences. He said there's 15 common things that he's found. Not everybody has all 15. Matter of fact, nobody has all 15. Most people have seven or eight of these, but there's 15 pretty well constant aspects of death that he has interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people that they've experienced. One is they experienced an outer body experience. In other words, they felt their spirit leave the body. Okay. Two, uh, they experienced either a brightness or a darkness. One or two. Okay. So it's three. Brightness or darkness. And in the brightness or the darkness, both of them, it didn't matter. Either one of them, they both accompanied a, a just an unbelievable serenity of peace. Just wow! Just peace. Okay. Uh, the third thing: there was always a, a light or a tunnel somewhere that they would be traveling. They didn't feel like they were moving, but the tunnel was moving around them. And oh, but let me let me go back after the out of the body, outer body experiences. Uh, they always seems to always experience a being present in the room. In other words, they would hear the doctor even pronounce their death. They would hear loved ones speaking to them. They would hear these things. I have always felt that that is true. If you walk into a hospital room, somebody's unconscious, somebody is, is, talk with them just like they were conscious. I believe they hear, okay? And according to these afterlife experiences or after death, near death experiences, they do. Okay. they heard what was happening in the room for a moment of time, for a period of time. And then they were on this journey that seemed like they were going to uh, through this tunnel. There was either a being of light or there was a tunnel with a bright light that they were kind of going toward and and they were traveling toward. In the midst of this as well, there was a clear cut boundary that they knew that they if, if it went past this boundary, they would not be returning. And they would get up to this boundary, but yet they could not get past this boundary. But they knew in their hearts that if they went past this boundary, they would not be returning. What What he found striking was, in the midst of this, no one ever experienced fear. No one ever experienced fear. Fear seemed to not even exist in those scenarios. Okay. The second thing is that whether it's brightness or whether it's light, there was an uncanny peace that accompanied with this. Uh, The third thing that struck me as very interesting is that there was boundaries and uh, there was this light. There was consistently a light, either a being or a light of place that they were going, okay? I find this very interesting because... It seems like oh, and another thing that there was no pain, none, no pain, ever. Okay. On the return, they've discovered several things. It seems like in this, there seemed to be uh, some accountability that seemed that, that they were heading for. If they cross this boundary, there was going to be accountability, but it wasn't. Uh, it, but it wasn't a fearful accountability. Uh. Suicide seemed to have some negative connotations because no one that ever experienced this, even in the bliss of it, felt the need that they were going to check themselves out to get to it again. So there had to be, and and across the interviews, he said there was some subject of suicide accompanying some penalty that wasn't worth the price of checking themselves out. I thought all these things very interesting. Okay. Okay. So here's, here's my conclusion with this and the fact that I have sat by the side of many, 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 many dying people. I've seen many people die, okay? Um, I've experienced very few, but I have experienced it, where it seemed that terror and fear was present. And in all of his cases, he didn't experience that, even though I have seen that physically, on the physical body and the presence. So I think it might exist, but to the people that had it were the people that wrestled and had fear present predominantly in in their life anyway. In other words, they were given to fear to begin with. Okay, So I thought by us examining and, and reading his book, Uh, or for me explaining in a nutshell, giving you a summary of what he's found in in his practical things and what I found in my practical things, may give you an idea about death. Death is something, again, and we talked about this earlier, that we should not fear. Death is just a transition to the next life in which we're coming. But death shouldn't be feared. It's coming for all of us. And like I said last week, there's only one way that we can sidestep death in this lifetime, and that is the rapture of Jesus Christ to come. And those that are sleeping, dead, okay, will be resurrected anew. And and there's an aspect with this that I want to cover too, because the scripture is very clear. It says to be absent from the body is to be present with God. And this is a spiritual presence. But yet there's a resurrection where the dead in Christ shall rise and will take on a glorified body. Here's what I have figured out in all this, that there has to be, and we were created by God with a physical body and breathe the spirit in. So that spirit returns and was with God while we're asleep, but that spirit will return at the resurrection and inhabit a body that's resurrected that's going to be glorified. And it'll be a glorified body. And then we'll take on the appearance and we'll take on in which creation that God created us to be and it'll be a glorified and scripture says we take on the mind of Christ as well. We understand things we never understood before. We'll see things like we've never seen before. We'll reason with reasoning we've never had before. This is a glorified condition. I've read books and I've watched movies about people going to heaven and some of these things that I've seen and read I think are just kind of they're out there, all right? Um, I went to a movie at in, in Bridge Streets two or three years ago with Janet. Janet and I went. And I watched a movie. It says, When I Went to Heaven, I think was the, call of it, uh, the title of it. And the guy got killed in a car wreck, and he was dead for several, like an hour. I mean, it was it a was long time. I think that could have been an exaggeration, and I may be remembering it wrong. But anyway, he was dead for a long time, and he went to heaven. And it showed what he saw in heaven, made a film of it. it showed what he had, uh, what he saw when he went to heaven. And and he saw people that were wearing uh, seer uh, sucker suits, seer sucker suits, leisure suits and knit bell-bottom pants, and you know, big flutish skirts and all kinds of things like that. And I looked at Janet and I go, nah. I, I, I don't believe God is into to double knit. I wore it and... It's awful. I think he he banished double knit to hell. It had to be. There's no way I would want to wear a knit, a, a, a nylon leisure suit in heaven. I'm sorry. I just don't. I just don't see that. So what? Here's what the deal is. I think. Uh, I think a lot of us envision heaven. And the way that it says we'll be known as we were known, and a lot of it is we'll be known like Clarence, the angel that came back to save the guy on this wonderful life. What was his name? George. Yeah, George Bailey. And and he's in his eighteen hundred outfits when he comes down. He's an angel in heaven. And and we identify people with our clothing more than we do with the people. But God says we're we will be known as we were known. It's not talking about our clothing. I don't think he's talking about our nose or eyes or physical attributions, uh, attributes, which I think some of that will be present. I think it'll be our spirit, the very soul, the very person, our essence, and who we are. That's how we'll be known. Now, whether we'll wear a toga or where we'll have double knit, I don't know. But I think double knit's burnt in hell. I do. But <laughs> I don't think we'll be recognized by our clothing. I think we'll be recognized by our glorified body of who we are and whom we are and whose we are. So these are some things that I've been thinking reading scripture and and talking about how the promises of God comes true and and how they're fulfilled. And we're talking about heaven a little bit next week. And and the title of the sermon is, Can You Imagine This? Can you imagine this? And we're going to be talking about heaven what heaven looks like. I've asked Dan to come this morning and give you a more practical side about how to die, how to die well because some of us know that we're dying but some of us get a real chance to live it out with dignity and grace and what you can do and how you can make your make it easier for your family as you negotiate this because this is a real part of life. Did you know that death is part of life? Hello, come on. I'm going to die. My parents are going to die. I've already gone through some deaths with my families and my, and my father-in-law and stuff like that. And some of the things that we can do on this side of eternity can help the family and loved ones that remained, and also help you live the existing life that you have and live it well. So, Dan, I'm going to ask you to come. He's going to take a few minutes and kind of talk with us on
1: some, a few major aspects that would be helpful. How many of you all realize you're going to die? Just want to make sure. Let me ask you another question. I want you to think about this. How many many of you know that you're dying? Think about that. Everybody knows they're going to die. Truth is, is from the time we're born, death is chasing us. Did you realize that? That stinks, doesn't it? Um. I guess I'm the expert in death. Well, actually, there is no expert in death because everybody that's an expert at it is what? Dead. Very good. Um, I work in hospice and worked in hospice for the last 12 years. Absolutely love what I do, but I do want to talk about some things that really, really concern me. Um, And what concerns me is that we live in America, and I want to tell you something about America. Since World War II, Americans have this attitude, we can beat anything and everything, right? We whoop the Japs, we whoop the Germans. Man, we can handle anything, right? What we have discovered is that part of that mentality is this attitude that we can somehow defeat death. And as a matter of fact, with our medical abilities now, we are extending people's lives significantly. And part of the issue that we're struggling with as a culture and as a nation is at what point do we say enough is enough? There's a big difference between extending life and extending death. I want you to understand me what I say here. There's a difference between extending life and a difference between extending death What we have discovered, medically speaking, is that we can extend life significantly, but we can also extend the process of death. What we've discovered with death is that it is a process. People go through certain aspects and stages in the process of dying, and I don't want you to be discouraged, I don't want you to feel beat up on, but I want you to understand something that as as you begin to die, your body naturally begins to shut down, especially if you have a long terminal illness. Um, having been there and watched people pass, there are certain things that we can see, not just physically but we can see it emotionally and spiritually. you'll see people begin to withdraw. Uh, I have been at numerous deaths. I have been at watch people as they process the end of life. Here's the thing that really concerns me. I see a lot of families not realizing that their loved one is going to die. When you get a diagnosis with your loved one, and I've had that with my wife, that basically with her type of cancer, she's still living now. I thank God for it. But with her type of cancer, the prognosis was not good. And I began this process of thinking, what does she want and what do I want? I want to tell you a story. About four years ago, I got a phone call and my wife's grandmother had had a massive heart attack. She was in the hospital and they asked me to come. So I got in the car, met my wife there at Helen Keller Hospital, went up to the fourth floor, and her daughters and her son were sitting in the room, uh, out in the waiting room of the ICU. And I went up there and I said, well, what's the doctor saying? They said, well, we've got her hooked up to machines. They've got her hooked up on machines. They got her on medication that's keeping her blood pressure elevated so that there is a hope that she may get better. And I asked the family one question. I said, is this what she wanted? And they said, no. I said, did anybody tell the doctor? What was their answer? No. Truth of the matter was, is that medically speaking, she was going to die. She was in the process of death. Without a living will without making your wishes known, they're going to put you on machines, and they are going to try and help you recover, whether it's a massive stroke, whether it's a heart attack, whatever. And guess what? Our medical system does an amazing job of helping people live with these things happening. But the truth of the matter is is that they're still going to die. What I want you to think about is what do you want your death to be like? Y'all can raise your hand. How do you, when you think about your death, how do you want it to be? Quick, I like that. What? Celebration, a party. He's a good Irishman. All right, everybody show up his wake, right? painless no pain and quick yeah as a matter of fact those are t- Frank that was the the celebration after 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 your death you want the celebration okay not not during the death but after okay but you know what it's funny what's that <laughs> where's Lisa we'll ask and no, I'm just teasing <laughs> You know what? Those are the two things that people want. They want it quick, and they want it painless. What I can tell you is that our medical system is not set up to do that. I want you to realize that. It's not set up to do that. Without making your wishes known, our medical system is not set up to make it quick, and it's not set up to make it painless. Now, here's the thing. We can make it with less pain. We can do that. But without your wishes being expressed and known, if you are, have a massive heart attack, you know where they're going to take you? They're going to stick you in the ICU, and they're going to determine whether or not there's a likelihood that you're going to survive this. And hopefully they will come out and talk to your family and, and find out what you want. Here's the nightmare. When your family is sitting there, and the doctor comes out and says, Well, we got a 50-50 chance. We can keep him on the machines and we can perform surgery and there's a a chance that he may survive. If you've not made your wishes known, you have put a burden on your family that they don't deserve. Because what's going to be the first response of your family members when they're confronted with the loss of you? Do what you can. Do what you can. And you know what do what you can means? Everything that they can medically do to keep you alive or to keep you physically alive. Here's the nightmare. When families are not, do not know what you want, what your desires are, they're confronted with a question and a situation that they cannot win. I have been in numerous nursing homes, where people that are no longer able to wash themselves, clean themselves, massive, massive brain damage, basically living in a in a, in a vegetative state, due to a car accident, or due to a aneurysm, due to a major um, stroke. Physically, they're alive, but their families were confronted with a decision that they had to make in a moment, and nobody knew, nobody knew what the patient wanted. Good news. You can make that decision now. I, I've stuck living wheels out there in the, in, in the lobby I want you to take one home with you. I don't want you to make a decision. I don't want you, but I want you to sit down with your family because you're going to have to have somebody that will be your proxy, somebody that will make those decisions. And you know what's funny in the living will? You can mark whether you want them to make those decisions or not. (laughs) It's crazy. You can mark whether you want them to follow the rules of the living will or use their discretion. So think about the person that's going to be the person making those decisions for you. But you have the opportunity to make those decisions now. Because don't leave your family, the people that love you, stuck with a decision. Because here's what happens. If you survive and you're stuck in a vegetative state, Imagine you've told the doctor, this is what I want. How are you going to feel? But then there's the possibility that, oh my goodness, if I didn't decide that, they might have been just perfectly fine. Guess what? They're still going to die, period. As Steve was talking, I kept thinking about these verses, and I want to I I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I want to finish with great news. John writes this. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he, I'm sorry. We love him because he first loved us. Let me give you good news. I've seen a lot of death, seen a lot, a lot, a lot of death. But I've seen God every single time. We don't have to be afraid. Why? Because we're good? No. Why? Because we are loved. Because our daddy is awesome. We have nothing to fear. Because we step into his presence. And folks, I don't understand all that there is to understand about death, but this I do know. I don't fear death. I fear what I got to go through to get there. But I don't fear death. Because I know my daddy's heart and I will see him face to face I don't get to see him here not like that but when I go home I get to see him face to face I get to know him and he gets to show me me and I get to love in a way that I've never loved before And I never, ever, ever, ever again have to say goodbye. Please, don't put a burden on your family. Take time. Take it home. Pray. There's a bunch of questions, but it's easy to fill out. You can witness it, and you can turn it in. You give it to your family physician or keep it in a file, or you can hand it to the doctor. But take that time. Listen, I don't, want to, I don't want it to be a burden for you, but I want you to have the tools that you need. Please, please, don't put that burden on your family. I love you. God bless y'all, and may y'all have a blessed day.
0: Amen. Thank you, Dad. Uh, a couple other things, and we'll be dismissed about this process. Living will is very important. Also, after death, for the families that remain, there's things that you need to prepare for. Uh, You have funeral homes in the area that will take care uh, and help you and aid you with that. Uh, Feel free to call upon them just to give you an idea. A lot of people never think about this until it's time. But just to give you an idea, a funeral will run you anywhere from about, a small one, from about $7,000 to $25,000, $30,000. Okay. A lot of people are opting for cremation now, which is about eighteen hundred to two thousand dollars, which is much more reasonable in cost. Uh, scripture does not address cremation or embodied burial, uh, and I've looked at it very, uh, very thoroughly. There's some people that argue around about a way a theological about burying. That's fine. My father, for example, will not be buried, but anything but whole body, and an and a oak casket facing the eastern wall because that's just the way he was taught and trained theologically. I, I get that. I understand it. Personally, for myself, I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to be cremated, because there's no sense in putting a brand-new, perfectly nice mahogany ca- casket in, in the ground you know for it to rot, just like I'm going to rot until I'm resurrected and glorified. Amen? Amen. I, but you do what you want. I'm just trying to give you some tools in the education process. It's part of this process. Uh, being a pastor is... You preach on so many different things. You know, some preachers like to preach on love all the time. Not calling any names. You know. <clears throat> and, <laughs> and and that's good. That's, that's, that's wonderful. But as a pastor in a congregation, we have to touch on so many topics. Some of them are not as pleasant as others. Okay. And these are not the most exciting topics to talk about. But They're good that we know and we talk about and discuss in the body of Christ. It's good that we know and understand some of these things. I'm going to leave you uh, with this final word. Paul, again, writing to the people at uh, Thessalonica, he says this, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Amen. May the God of peace and joy rest upon you. May you know until his coming, until our departure from this life, his love, his mercy, his grace, his kindness, his gentleness, his righteousness, his joyfulness, his peace, and again, his love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and everyone said, let's stand and sing our closing anthem. Thanks for watching. We would love for you to connect with us online. On our website, you will find up-to-date information about everything happening around here. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And please download our free app on your smartphone or tablet. We are so glad you're here today. We hope you feel at home and we hope you enjoy your friendship experience.